chapter 20, and it's verse 1 to 30. Um, Now, there's some funky names in here, so I might not get them all right, just so you know. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, with some of the Munites, came to wage war against against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already at Hazazon, Tamar, that is, En Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all of the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and built in it a sanctuary for your name saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. And now here are men from Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us for coming to us, by coming to us to drive us out of the possession you gave to us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All the men of Judah, with their wives and children and little ones, stood there before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came to Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mattiah, a Levite and descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. He said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat, all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the, Lord, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Today, march down against them. They will climb up by the um, pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge of the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your possession, possessions, positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some Levites, the Kohathites and the Korites, stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tokoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me. Judah and the people of Jerusalem, have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in the prophets, and you will have success. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at at the head of his army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. As they began to sing, The Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab, 
and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and the Moabites rose up against the men of Mount Seir to destroy them and annihilate them. After they were finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked towards the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying in the ground. No one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder, and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and also articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much it took three days to collect it. On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Berakah, where they praised the Lord. This is why the, it is called the Valley of Berakah to this day. Then, led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem joyfully um, returned joyfully to Jerusalem, for the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. They entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lyres and trumpets. The fear of the Lord came on all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord had, sought, had fought against the enemies of Israel. And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together just as we come to open God's word together. Lord, Heavenly Father, we pray that you would speak to us through your word. Would you help us be people to be people of praise, whether in the good times or the bad times? to recognize you for the splendor of your holiness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody, and um, thank you so much for being here. Um, for those who, who might be on the live stream or who can't recognize me in a suit, again, my name is Mark Wells. I'm the Families, Youth, and Children's Worker here in the, in the parish. Um, you might not have seen me for a couple of weeks as we have just had a little baby boy called Caleb, and he just arrived um, about a month ago, five weeks on Tuesday, um, and he's doing really well. I've always been drawn to this passage um, for because I play music, um, which you can see. Um, I have played music for a number of years, and I, I want to kind of tell you my story, my history with music and where, um, where it came from. Um, in primary school, I remember um, my mum telling me that I should join the choir, and I thought that was very uncool, and I didn't want to do that. And so I didn't, and then I went to secondary school and started playing the drums. And for some strange reason, um, our teacher said that if you played the drums, you had to join the choir. Um, and I was the only person who actually followed the rules and, and went to the choir. Um, I was like, this is going to be rubbish, and absolutely loved it. I loved singing, and I loved being part of a choir and part of that kind of team, and really enjoyed it. Um, I've played grade one piano and played the drums, and then joined this choir throughout the school and did honors um, singing and stuff with the choir, and we were able to do lots of really cool things. We went to New York, um, sang in Old Church Boston and St. John the Divine in New York, and even in St. Paul's, which is right beside Ground Zero, and we sang in that little church there. Um, we sang, we've sang in Cork and, and did a competition in Dublin. And around that time, I picked up guitar, and because I had the rhythm with drums, I was able to pick up the guitar quite quickly and started um, singing a lot, a lot, a lot, and sang loads at home, so dear love my family, because um, the walls weren't very thick. Um, I was quite loud, but they seemed to enjoy it. And then in lower sixth in school, there was a talent competition, and I played the, the talent competition that the Young Enterprise team was running. 
then they decided to uh, make a CD out of my music, so it will come up on the screen. Um, and they were top in their year for Young Enterprise, and I think it was because they were good at selling things rather than that, that was a good CD. Um, and I've spent um, from then until now to trying to destroy every copy of that CD. Um, and you'll never ever hear one of those songs. Me and Abby, we met singing together. Um, we played some gigs and did some worship together. And then um, obviously we've sang at lots of weddings together and while we've been married. And we sang loads to Caleb when he was in Abby's tummy. And one of the first things that he recognized when he came out was, yes, Jesus loves me. And we sang that to him. Um, I sang that to him as maybe a few hours afterwards and you could see on his wee face that he recognized it, which was lovely. So music has been a huge part of my life and that's why I'm really drawn to this passage. But more than that, praise. Um, I've learned in my life to praise in, in all situations and not perfectly uh, by any means, um, but in the good times and the bad times, I find it really um, helpful and useful and powerful to sing praises to God and to focus my eyes on him through praise. And that's why this passage um, really comes to mind. Um, because that's exactly what King Jehoshaphat does. <clears throat> I'd like to just go through the kind of where this story comes in the scope of the Bible, because sometimes you can read a story and not have a clue where it sits in the scope of the whole story. So just up on the screen, we're going to have a wee um, timeline of the Bible. So um, that little red mark is where this sits in the whole scope of the Bible. The um, people of Israel have come, they've conquered the land, they've, um, the judges have come, and then the kings have come. And then after that, there is a split in the nation. The northern kingdom of Israel splits away from the southern kingdom of Judah. Eleven tribes of the twelve go north, um, and they go to be the nation of Israel. And one tribe, Judah, which is about four times the size of any of the other tribes, goes south, and it's then called Judah. And so from that point on, it's quite confusing in the Old Testament. When it says Judah and Israel, it merely means the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And so King Jehoshaphat is the fourth king after King Solomon, and he was the he was David's son. Um, and it was Solomon's son Rehoboam, which caused the split um, of the two nations. And we can sort of recognize that with um, Northern Ireland and Southern Ireland. That's kind of the kind of structure it was. Um, so a wee um, image is going to come up on the screen. And in Spark, a few um, months ago, years, really a year, a few years ago actually now, we did um, kings, kings top trumps, so the kings of Israel and top trumps, so they had different stats of what they were good at and what they were bad at, and whether they were a good king or a bad king, southern kingdom or northern kingdom. Um, so Jehoshaphat was the southern kingdom, he was a smiley face, he was pretty good, he wasn't great, uh, but he was good, and you can see all his other stats there, he won a few battles, he reigned for 25 years. But unfortunately, he was friends with um, King Ahab in the north. And King Ahab, you would know from the stories of, of Elijah, um, a really evil king who um, ended up sacrificing his own children to um, the, ba the Baals. So he was friends with this king. So God rebukes Jehoshaphat for that um, in passages previously. But that's kind of the context that we sit in here. And so Jehoshaphat gets a message that Moab and Ammon are going to come and attack um, Israel or Judah. Now Moab and Ammon are the nations that Israel had kind of skirted around when they were going into the promised land and they missed them out and so that's why um, Jehoshaphat says that later on. Edom is a nation that's um, descended from Esau 
who would be Jacob's brother back in the Old Testament. So you've got these nations that are surrounding Israel that are about to come and attack them. And it says they're at En Gedi. So it's going to come up on the screen, a wee map that shows you where En Gedi is. Um, they've already crossed the Dead Sea, which means that they're really close to Jerusalem. Um, the next one's a wee bit closer, if you can um, zoom it in. Um, they're really close to Jerusalem. And so they need to get ready for a fight. That's why it's so scary that these guys are coming against them. Um, and so what does Jehoshaphat do? Does he get scared? Does he get the army ready and say, right, okay, or does he surrender? He does something that Paul says 900 years later that we should all do today. He prays. He doesn't be anxious about anything, but he is um, prayerful about anything, so everything. So he brings a prayer urgently to the Lord. And I guess the question is, do we do that when we're presented with things today? Is that our initial port of call where Jehoshaphat's first port of call is ask the Lord for help? Is that our first port of call? Or do we complain? Or do we um, um, argue with people or complain with other people? Or do we ask other people for help before we ask the Lord? And so Jehoshaphat prays and he asks the people to pray and he asks the people to fast. Um, and just a brief, brief moment um, to look at fasting. Um, I don't know if any of you have experienced much fasting in, in your lives. I've, seen, I've found it quite a significant um, prayerful tool to be used in your lives. A friend of mine in university said that prayer is your AK-47 and fasting is your long-range missile. So prayer is something that you use for things that are right in front of you and that are significant, but you're praying for the things that are in front of you and are tangible. Long, um, your fasting is your long-range missile for things that are further up ahead, more significant, bigger deal that you want to bring to the Lord. It's not a magic thing that's going to make, oh, I've done this thing, so God's going to answer my prayer but it's just a way of coming into God's presence and offering more intense prayers to him. I spent some time fasting um, for 24 hours um, just when Abby was initially um, pregnant with Caleb. And again, not that that was a, a guarantee that all things would go well, but it's a way of connecting with God and asking him to be with us in that situation. Wesley Jewell, a 21st century writer, says, you and I are no more um, have no more the right to omit fasting because we have no special emotional prompting than we have the right to omit prayer, Bible study, or assembling with God's children for a lack of special emotional prompting. Fasting is just a biblical and a normal part of spiritual walk of obedience with God as these other things. When Jesus was, um, says in the New Testament, he says, when you fast, etc., etc. He doesn't say if you fast, he says when and so engage in that in whatever way you find useful. Um, again, if there's medical conditions or if there's other reasons you don't think it's appropriate, then engage in it in different ways by removing other things from your life like um, TV or social media or anything like that for a while so that you can come deeper into God's presence. I would say I've had no um, mountaintop spiritual experiences during fasting. It's difficult and it's hard and sometimes I feel absolutely nothing. Um, but that's not, it's not about the feeling. It's about coming into God's presence, whether you feel it or not. And so moving on, Jehoshaphat in verse 6 starts praying to God. And what does he initially say to God? Does he say, God, we really need this thing. Can you help us please really, really quickly? No, he comes into God's presence and he praises him for how good he is. He says, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? He praises him and says how good he is. He says he's great. And in verse 9, he says, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword or judgment or plague or famine, <clears throat> we will stand here in your presence before this temple and bear your name. We will cry out to you 
and you will hear us and save us. And God actually promised that earlier on in the dedication of the temple. When Solomon opened the temple, God said, if you would humble yourselves and seek my face and call on my name, then I will be with you and heal your land. And so God has already promised to do that. A really powerful way for us to bring our prayers to God is to bring, to come with the promises God has already given us. So God has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we pray to God, God, you've promised never to leave me or forsake me. So be with me in this situation. God has promised that if we wait on him, he will rise us up on wings like eagles. And so we say, God, I'm in a really difficult situation, but you've promised that if I wait on you, that you will raise me up on wings like eagles. And one of the most powerful things in this passage, I think, is verse 12, where he says, "Um, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I don't know if you've ever had that in your life where you pray to God, God, I don't know what to do in this situation, but now I know you're God and I look to you. Kind of reminds me of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego when they were in the fiery furnace and they say to King Nebuchadnezzar, God's going to save us, but even if he doesn't, we're going to be here and we're going to worship God. And in the same way, Jehoshaphat's saying, God, I'm going to praise you in all situations and you better show up because if you don't, it's not going to work out but I'm still going to praise you. And how powerful would it be if we lived lives like that? Then in verse 13, it says, all of the children and women and men and little ones were there praying to God. How often do we leave our children out or our grandchildren or our families out of our prayers? We go off into a corner and close the door and pray on our own. When we could, um, Jehoshaphat's saying, we want their prayers. We need their prayers. And so let's invite them into our prayers and say, um, Jimmy, I'm going through this situation. Can you pray with me? Instead of just saying um, to them to pray on their own. And the Holy Spirit comes upon the prophets and tells them what's about to happen. And like the Lord parting the Red Sea, where he says to, to Moses, be still, you need not fight this battle. He says to Jehoshaphat, go and take your positions. You're not going to need to fight this battle. What a powerful thing to say. Go and stand in front of the guns. Go and stand in front of those tanks because I'm going to fight this battle for you. And again, what does Jehoshaphat do after hearing all of this? He praises God. And so we come to verse 20 to 24, and I think this is such a powerful um, passage. Um, They're getting ready to go up into the battle. Jehoshaphat says, trust in what you've just been told. It's going to be okay. And then he does something really strange. At no point in this passage is he told to do this. The prophets don't tell him to. God doesn't tell him to. But he tells the people, right, we're going to get some worshipers. We're going to get some worship leaders. And we're going to get them to stand in front of the army. Not only are they stand in front of the army, they're going to be on the front lines of the army. So we're going to stand so confidently knowing that God is going to give us the victory that we're going to put some people with guitars and harps and lyres in front of the firing range. Which is just crazy. And not only um, does he do that, but he doesn't even tell them, go into the battle and praise God for the victory he's going to give you, or praise God for the victory he's given us. He doesn't even do that. He tells them to praise God for the splendor of his holiness. He tells them to give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. He doesn't say, praise him for the victory. Praise him for the victory he's going to give us. He says, praise God for being God. Praise him for how good he is. Praise him for his love. Praise him for his majesty. 
praise him for the splendor of his holiness. And then God, in his grace, uses this to bring about his purposes. And he says, once they started singing, again, they had never been told to start singing, but once they start singing, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon, Moab, and the Mount Seir. And what are these ambushes? They're spiritual ones. They're spiritual ones. God has set um, spiritual ambushes for this um, army that are coming against them. And I just pray that God would set spiritual ambushes for, the, for your enemies today. The enemies of poverty, depression, anxiety, unforgiveness, family breakdown, unfaithfulness, or sin. I pray that God would set ambushes in your, in your life today for your enemies. And so the enemies start killing each other. They start killing, um, fighting each other rather than fighting Israel. And I just think so much of how the enemy's plans tend to destroy themselves. Even just think of, of Hitler and his plans to take over the world and ended up destroying himself through them. And so verse 24, um, this amazing victory happens and uh, uh, even more incredible, they haven't even arrived yet. It says, when the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert, they looked towards the vast army. They saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. They hadn't even arrived by the time the battle had been won for them. So many times in our lives, we come to God and we have prayers to bring to him and we think, God, I need you to act in this moment. When God has been acting for years and years, God has been bringing about the purposes of that prayer before you've even prayed it. And even before you turn up into that situation, whether in work or in a family or in, in your life, God has won the battle for you. And they are so overwhelmed by the victory, it takes them three days to pick up the blessings and the plunder from the victory. And what do they do to finish off? They praise. They praise God. They come into Jerusalem and they praise God for all he has done. This passage has just one simple message, I think, and it just says that we should praise God in all situations. In good ones, in bad ones, in difficult ones, in easy ones, when the sun's shining, when the rain's falling, we should praise God. And we shouldn't be praising him for the good gifts he's given us necessarily. We should do that as well. But we should be praising him for how good he is, for how majestic he is, for how loving he is, for who he is. And when we praise him, he'll change us. He'll change our hearts to be more in line with his. He'll change our perspectives so that the really small problems will look really small compared to our big God. And yes, we'll pray for victory. We'll pray that God will overcome our situations and that he will bring about the impossible, just like Jehoshaphat prayed here. But we trust him that even if that doesn't happen, that we will praise him and thank him for who he is in our lives. Do you have a regular um, rhythm of praise in your life? The Lord's prayer starts, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. So Jesus says that should be our initial port of call is to praise God for who he is. Do you have a regular time when you praise God? It doesn't have to be singing. Some of us aren't um, as much into singing as, as others, but it could be writing to God. It could be speaking in prayer to God to praise him for who he is. Um, and Pete Gregg says that we should pray using the acronym um, pray. Um, 
and the first one is praise. And so we should praise or pause and then rejoice, pause and then rejoice, pause and then rejoice in what God has given us. I'd just like to take a moment for us to, to just praise God in, in the silence this morning um, in, the way, in whatever way you'd like to, if you want to hold out your hands and praise him, if you want to just sit or kneel um, before we even sing the next song and we're going to praise God for the goodness of his holiness and then we'll sing together. But I just challenge you to make a regular rhythm of praise in your life that your eyes would be fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith rather than on your situations and on your problems so let's praise him in the silence Lord, we are in awe of you. We praise you this morning for the splendor of your holiness. We praise you that you are all-powerful, that you see all things and you know all things, that you are all-benevolent, God, you are all-good, and that you will bring about your good purposes on this earth. We thank you for your promises. We thank you for your good gifts. And God, above everything, we thank you for your son. Before you sent your son, you were worthy to be praised. And yet you sent your son to make a way for us to know and love you. To come into your presence in any moment and every day. So we praise you, God, and we praise you for what you've done in our lives. And we lift up these difficult situations that we may have and pray that you would make a way. That you would bring ambushes for our enemies. That you would win the victory for us. And we thank you, God, that you're bringing about these purposes even now. In Jesus' name, amen.